You're listening to Season 4, Episode Number 6 of Strike the Match. On Tuesday, November the 13th, 2018, Charles Brock, President of Church Growth International, passed away. Charles had a profound influence on my missiology, and I thought it would be appropriate to spend some time thinking about Charles's work and his teaching in this episode of Strike the Match. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. All of us can say that uh, there's been someone along the journey that has had influence on our lives and on our our ministry, on our thinking. Uh, I've often heard of individuals, myself included, that uh, that has sometimes included uh, people who we have never met, individuals that wrote books or maybe uh, sermons that we listened to. Um, However, in my life, uh, there was one individual that uh, had a profound influence on my missiology. In fact, uh, there is a good possibility that if I had not encountered this brother, you would not even be listening to this podcast uh, series of Strike the Match. And so um, I can say that uh, Charles Brock has uh, had his fingerprints on my missiology and my thinking for, for many, many years. And so I wanted to spend some time talking to you, sharing a little bit about this brother, uh, because I would say that while there are many of you listening that do know Charles, you've been influenced by his books, uh, you have uh, been using his, uh, in, uh, his Bible study uh, books uh, with the fill-in-the-blanks, I would say that many of you are not familiar with him, and so I thought it would be be good to be able to share a little bit about my story and, and my journey as we spend some time uh, remembering this brother and his kingdom, his kingdom work. Uh, the story uh, for me begins by going back to uh, the mid-1990s. I had uh, graduated from college, and uh, uh, probably about a month after college, I was uh, pastoring a church in central Kentucky. My, uh, my wife and I, uh, also married, we got married, Sarah and I got married a week after college, and while we were on our honeymoon, uh, the Lord called us to serve a, a church there in uh, Winchester, Kentucky. And, and so even though I started serving this church uh, in the summer, I knew that by that fall, uh, I was planning to attend seminary. And so I started commuting from Lexington to Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, over time, I felt like the Lord wanted me to continue on in my studies and pursue Ph.D. Uh, uh, studies. So I uh, shifted into high gear and decided that I was going to get through my Master Divinity program as quickly as I possibly could. Uh, my, uh, my vision direction for ministry was uh, to continue to pastor this church and just to grow uh, this church uh, just as, as bigger and as, as big as, possibly, uh, as I possibly could. I remember that uh, I was one of these individuals that I would map out my schedule years in advance. In fact, uh, uh, before one year would be over with, I would uh, have already mapped out what I would be taking in the spring and in the fall and even in uh, January, June, or July terms in order to be able to graduate on time. I had uh, the PhD program in my uh, crosshairs, and so I was I was burning through the MDiv uh, program as quickly as possible, and I needed a three-hour evangelism elective, uh, or excuse me, a three-hour evangelism course in order to graduate, 
at uh, my, on my designated date. And uh, I had an elective uh, to, take, uh, to take a course that particular summer, and it was actually in the summer of 1996. And uh, the only thing, the only thing that was being offered uh, in that June of 1996 was a course uh, titled Introduction to Church Planting. And the individual who was coming to Southern Seminary's campus to teach uh, that course was, uh, was Dr. Charles Brock. I did not have a clue who uh, Dr. Brock was. I was always one of these individuals who, who wanted to know about my professors long before I'd even enroll in their classes. So I remember going to uh, my professor, um, uh, John Mark Terry, Dr. Terry at the time, and just uh, asked him the questions. Uh, you know, so, so who is this visiting professor? Who's this Brock guy that's coming to, to campus to teach this course? And, uh, and he shared with me that Charles had been a church planner in uh, North America, and that uh, for uh, 20 years he and his wife Dottie had served uh, in the Philippines as church planters with the Foreign Mission Board, uh, which would later become known as the, the Home Mission Board, or excuse me, the Foreign Mission Board, which would later become known as the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, that he uh, had started a ministry called Church Growth International out of Neosho, Missouri, whereby he was uh, doing uh, church planting training uh, for domestic work as well as international work, and that he had developed uh, a, a series of Bible study uh, Bible studies that were used in church planting and had written some books on church planting. And so he told me that, uh, that I would enjoy having uh, Brock as a professor that particular June. And so I enrolled in the course and, and waited for the day to arrive. Now, we've all taken courses over the years that have had influence on us and have made an impression upon us. Uh, I've had many wonderful professors, been very thankful for excellent courses that I've had uh, across, uh, across my studies. However, this particular course, this Introduction to Church Planting that was supposed to just be a three-hour elective course for me, uh, was, was life transformational. The, the Lord used it to to shape and influence my ecclesiology in a profound way. He used the course to influence my missiology. He used the course to, to change my thinking about missions. Uh, he used the course to, to set me on a completely, completely different trajectory uh, than what I was on at the time. One of the things that I learned in this course from Charles uh, was a statement, that, and Charles had many of these little pithy statements that uh, were, were quite profound. Um, one of the statements that I learned was that what God's Word says is more important and more powerful than anything I could ever say about God's Word. Uh, he, he reminded the class, he reminded the students that uh, we can say a lot about God, we can say a lot about His church, we can say a, a lot about the things of Christ, uh, and those can be good and those are important. But he believed that uh, the Word of God was living and was active, and the more you could expose someone to God's truth, to God's Word, uh, the more likely that individual would come to faith because they would have a much better understanding of what the Word itself says. In fact, a great deal of Charles's church planting methodology uh, was wrapped up in a series of Bible studies that he developed. Uh, many of you listening remember the uh, Red Book uh, uh, titled Good News for You uh, or uh, its sequel, uh, The Green Book, uh, I Have Been Born Again, What Next? 
I mean, those two books, along with many others that he did, uh, related to Romans and, and Philippians and Galatians, uh, those two books uh, were basically books that just were fill-in-the-blanks. I mean, they, they were the fill-in-the-blanks uh, before fill-in-the-blanks with sermons became cool. Uh, Charles would have people to look up a particular reference in the Bible. Uh, the the, the uh, book would, would have a fill-in-the-blank statement. And they would be required to uh, to write in their answer based on what they just read. So so Charles was was a very strong believer in uh, an inductive Bible study approach. He was a very strong believer in just allowing God's word to to speak uh, to people's lives, uh, to to work with the Spirit to bring them to regeneration and to see them grow in their sanctification. Uh, another thing that I learned uh, from Charles during uh, the course was that uh, biblical is simple, that ecclesiology does not need to be complex. In fact, when you look at the biblical understanding of church, it was a very simple ecclesiology, and that the issue of knowing one's ecclesiology was foundational for church planting. In fact, let me see if I can find a quote here from, uh, from Charles's book, Indigenous Church Planting, A Practical Journey. Uh, a book that uh, that I have devoured over the years, and uh, was also the um, uh, the the main textbook for uh, for the course. Uh, for, I'd like for you to, to hear a statement that that Charles makes in this book. Uh, listen to what he says on page forty nine in the chapter titled "What Are We Seeking to Plant?" He says, "I believe a perverted and tarnished view of what a church is constitutes one of the greatest hurdles." faced by church planters. And I think he uh, is exactly right. In fact, uh, for years now, I have said that the most critical issue in church planting today is an ecclesiological issue. And that is how we answer the question, what is the church, not only universal, but the church local, will affect everything that we do in church planting. Uh, That concept for me goes back to that summer course in June of 1996 uh, with Charles, uh, that biblical is simple, and that ecclesiology, it needs to be biblical. It needs to be something that uh, connects with the people that uh, you're working among. Charles was also one who uh, was was very well known for uh, talking about the, the four S's or the four necessities, if you will, for uh, planting churches. And he, he got these from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And you, if you've read any of my books on church planting, you, you, you've seen me reference him and cite him there. And, and that is in that passage, Paul talks about all that was needed for the gospel to come into to, uh, Thessalonica and for the church to be birthed out of the harvest was uh, that there had to be sowers, there had to be seed, uh, there being the gospel, there had to be the Holy Spirit, and then there had to be soil. And so he talked about the four S's or the four necessities, the, the sowers, the seed, the, the, the spirit, and, and the soil as being the four essentials for church planting. And, and Charles made a, a strong point to say that beyond those things, the church planter needed to be very careful that uh, they did not bring excess, what he called excess baggage to the field, excess baggage to the people. In other words, the desire was for them to come to faith, for them to self-identify as a local church that would be self-supporting, self-governing, self-propagating, self-expressing, self-teaching, uh, and, and that it would take root within the cultural context of the people. 
and that they, in turn, would reproduce what had been modeled before them. And that brings me to, to the next thing that I learned from Charles in that class, and that is the church planter needs to be thinking about reproducibility in, in all things that takes place. Uh, so a very profound statement, another profound statement that he, that he writes about in this book uh, about reproducibility is that, and you can tell that the book is dated a little bit because now we're, the, the number is over 5 billion, but he makes this statement. He says, in an age when perhaps more than 4 billion people do not know Christ in a personal way, it borders on immorality for a planter to plant a church without considering reproducibility. In other words, uh, uh, what Brock was trying to say was that when we look throughout the scriptures, uh, the the Apostle Paul, the the Apostolic Church, they they were not in the business of creating monuments to themselves or to other people, uh, but they were wanting to see disciples birthed out of the harvest, churches that came together to gather around what it meant to follow Jesus and live out His kingdom ethic in the world, and that they would indeed take the gospel and they would run with it. We see this in Thessalonica, we see it in other places. But, but the notion of reproducibility uh, in all things. So, so what, you, what you want at the end, here's another pithy statement that Charles was fond of saying, what you want at the end, put in at the beginning. So if you want this to, uh, this, uh, your, your church planting strategy to see a healthy church planted by God's grace, you want to, to have from the beginning a healthy understanding of church. If you want people to be uh, not dependent on the missionaries, on the church planters, but you want them to grow and mature and develop in the faith and use their passions and gifts, then you don't want to begin with paternalism. You want to begin with things that are reproducible, things that they can, can use to take and run across their social networks with to see the gospel spread rapidly and with honor, as the Apostle Paul uh, would write to the Thessalonians. So this notion of reproducibility in, in all things, uh, in, in your leadership style, in your evangelistic style, in your, the way that you lead Bible studies, the way you teach, the way you conduct yourselves, uh, was something that uh, was very much pressed into me uh, in this uh, particular class. Uh, one of the other things that, that uh, Charles mentions in, in his book is uh, the notion related to this issue of reproducibility and our methods and our strategies and things of that nature is the notion that uh, everything the church planters are doing is, is a model and making an impression upon uh, these, these individuals, these new believers. In fact, uh, he writes on uh, page 125 in the chapter on strategies and methods uh, in his book, Indigenous Church Planting, he says that uh, every action of the planter becomes part of a lesson learned by the church, even before it is born. The planter's relationship to the church can be likened to a parent-child relationship. The child is learning from every action of the parent, even though the parent isn't consciously teaching and the child isn't consciously learning. In other words, all eyes are focused on the church planters. Now, now Charles is not talking about developing a paternalistic relationship at all. In fact, he is, he is absolutely against that in this book. But what he is saying is that we have got to keep things in mind 
that may not be very reproducible among the people. And so we've got to avoid those things that could hinder not only their growth in Christ, but also the spreading of the gospel from beyond those people into others within uh, their, their social networks. And so uh, the notion of, of thinking about multiplication, that was pushed in uh, to, my, to my heart, my thinking in, in this class uh, as we thought about making disciples of all nations. Uh, another thing that uh, was in this course that uh, I thought was incredibly profound and instrumental in, in shaping me and my thinking related to, to missions and church planting in particular, uh, is that Charles taught the class, and, and he not only did this in this class, but, but I w- was a part of other training events and sessions with him as well, and uh, in his writings as, uh, that he had. Um, Charles was one who tried to redefine church planter, if you will, uh, in other words, um, his definition of, of church planting, and I'll read this to you and then I'll get to the definition of church planter. Uh, his definition of church planting in this book is, is, uh, that is found on page 89, and he writes, uh, Indigenous church planting is sowing the gospel seed in the native context of thought and things, allowing the Holy Spirit to do his work in his own time and way. Uh, so indigenous church planting... Sowing the gospel seed in the native context of thought and things, allowing the Holy Spirit to do His work in His own time and way. So when you take that definition and you couple it with this notion of the necessities for church, a church being birthed, that is the sowers, the seed, spirit, and, and the soil, and you couple it with a, a simple yet biblical ecclesiology, when you get to Charles's definition of church planter, what you find out very quickly is that he intentionally widens the church planting table as far as who can join the circle of church planters. Uh, in fact, Charles, he didn't say it this way, did not communicate it this way, but his understanding of church planter was that the church planter was not just the eight, nine, ten talented type of individual who was, uh, was a high-capacity kind of leader, who was someone uh, who had uh, massive amounts of, of leadership skills and, and abilities. But Charles widened the church planting table to, to bring those to the table that were gifted by the Spirit with, with one, two, five, seven talents, if you will, and so he uh, would, would train and would equip and would teach others in many parts of the world, including in North America, uh, to be involved in very simple yet highly reproducible approaches to the planting of churches. And, and so just looking at the, the influence of what a leader can have on the people and recognizing uh, that it is not always best for me to come in and, and flex my leadership muscles, so to speak, and do things that the people could not reproduce. The people uh, could not uh, could not grow, could not use with the resources, the abilities, the talents the Holy Spirit has given to them. Uh, that I have to be careful as I work with people to not uh, create a dependency on me where they look to me and say, oh, the only way to do church planting and to do it right is clearly the way that J.D. has modeled it before me. I see that J.D. is a high-capacity leader, 
and therefore, because I do not have such leadership capabilities, there, there's no way that I can do church planting right. So therefore, I will just be dependent upon him. So you, you can see how uh, that uh, there's an unintentional um, action that takes place that often can lead to a, a paternalism, so to speak. So uh, those were things that, that, that Charles uh, advocated. He talked about that, that he... Um, he uh, pressed into those that sat under under his teaching and under under his his leadership. Uh, if you're going to get one book by Charles, uh, let me encourage you to to get a copy of his book, Indigenous Church Planting: uh, A Practical Journey. If you just Google Church Growth International, or if you can remember to type in churchgrowthinternational.com, uh, you will you will go to Charles's uh, website. And so I would encourage you to, to get a copy of, of this book, Indigenous Church Planting, A Practical Journey. And that subtitle says it all. About half of the book is related to Charles's journey. And not only related to his journey, but, him, but he actually gives steps. Uh, you know, how to, what do you do on the first night when uh, the group gathers? Uh, what do you do when uh, leadership is starting to develop? And so a lot of very, very practical, very, very helpful information. Uh, if you if you go to the website of Church Growth International, you you will find a, a wealth of of information of for resources, so to speak. In other words, Charles wrote books on leading a a Bible study by indirect methods. Uh, he uh, wrote a leader's guide for how to use the the good news for you, also referred to as the Red Book. Uh, you can find copies um, of his book Galatians, From Law to Grace, John, Behold the Lamb, Romans, The Road to Righteousness. Uh, Philippians, The Joyous Journey. Uh, he wrote also a book uh, called Questions People Ask, uh, and it's basically about some basic doctrine, but also uh, basic ecclesiology. And, uh, and then he also wrote a book called Let This Mind Be in You, which is based on, uh, based, uh, or the purpose behind it is for developing, developing leadership uh, as well. Uh, again, I would say start with um, Indigenous Church Planning, A Practical Journey, I think it'll be be of, of value to to you. Uh, in fact, I'm going to uh, read a little bit from the introduction before I close this podcast out, uh, just to give you a little bit about the uh, the background behind uh, the development of his work and, and the writing of this book. Now, now keep in mind, um, many of the things that you have heard me say that I learned from Charles over over the years. Uh, Many of these things, uh, some of you are, are, are saying, well, yes, that's commonplace. But if you, if you think about it, uh, back in the 1990s and prior to that time, uh, they, they, weren't, they weren't that common. And so here's a little bit from the introduction of the book to kind of give you a little bit of the background uh, behind uh, Charles's work. Charles writes, when we first arrived in the Philippines, indigenous church planting principles were almost unheard of. At least we were never introduced to them. For the first 20 years of the life of the Philippine Baptist Mission, the work had marched forth only as fast as money and personnel would allow. Heavy subsidy was practiced at almost every point. The idea of church and church building were so intertwined that it was not natural to think of one without the other. The concept of ministry was very professionalized. The term church planter was new, since indigenous principles were almost unknown. It was not a surprise to find indigenous practice almost an unknown. This also meant Bible study materials designed for indigenous church planting had not been produced. 
During a period of more than a dozen years in actual church planting, the Lord led Dottie and me in the development of a set of Bible study materials. Today, these have become an integrated system of materials designed for church planting. These are based on biblical indigenous principles and known for their ease of use, simplicity, and reproducibility. And so many of the books that I referenced just a second ago uh, were developed out of that background and out of that experience uh, with Charles over his years in, in his teaching. So there you have it, folks. I just wanted to, to give you uh, just a little walk down memory lane, but at the same time, I wanted to share with you uh, a little bit of my backstory in knowing, uh, for you to be able to know where I came from uh, in my journey. And uh, with the passing of Charles, I thought that that would be most appropriate uh, to be able to take some time to reflect and remember and to, and to honor him and uh, the work that, uh, that he did. Uh, he has uh, had a huge amount uh, of influence uh, that, uh, that is uh, carried across North America and also throughout many, many parts of the world. Uh, his Bible study materials that I mentioned a moment ago, his church planning resources, have been translated into many different languages. In fact, I'm looking at my computer screen right now, and I'm seeing Albanian, Arabic, and, and a couple of forms of Chinese, and Polish, and French, and Romanian, and Portuguese, Russian, uh, Serbian, and Spanish, just to, just to mention some of those. Um, his influence uh, has carried far and wide, even though there are many folks out there that have been planting churches and involved in new churches and have come to faith in new churches uh, that will never, never know of the name uh, Charles Brock. Uh, I had the honor back in uh, 20, uh, 2007 uh, of bringing him to uh, Southern Seminary uh, again, uh, not to teach a class, but uh, for the two of us to co-lead a course. In fact, uh, I was looking just the other day uh, in my copy of Indigenous Church Planting and uh, getting ready to record this podcast and saw my notes that, uh, that I actually kept from back in 2007 of, um, of the outline uh, of, our, uh, of our conference together. And so it was a, looks like it was a, a two-day conference uh, that we uh, we taught over September the 11th, September 12th uh, in 2007. And uh, and I remember that time uh, with great fondness. Uh, it, it was a great honor to be able to to have that time to be able to co-lead a church planting conference uh, with, uh, with the man that the Lord used in such a powerful way uh, to shape and influence uh, my thinking, my uh, missiology. And, uh, and, then, and then through me has had a huge amount of influence uh, on other individuals, uh, including many of you that are listening to this right now. And so all of us stand on the, the shoulders of giants that uh, have gone before us. And for me, uh, that would be uh, Charles Brock, uh, who was uh, an individual that the Lord allowed me to, uh, to have a, uh, a few uh, days of class with in that summer in, uh, in June at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary many years ago and how the Lord used uh, that encounter with him uh, to totally transition me and to totally uh, set me on a different course, a different trajectory, uh, one that I have been most thankful for and one that uh, I've been most blessed. Uh, one of the little bits of humor that I uh, like to reflect on from time to time is that when you go back to uh, the beginning part uh, of my conversation with you on this podcast, I made the statement of... Um, uh, the desire to, to pastor one church and just to keep growing it larger and larger and larger. The one thing I didn't tell you uh, about is uh, a humorous thought that I've reflected on over the years, and that is prior to that class with Charles, um, 
I, I knew that church planting uh, was something that was probably important, uh, but I really wasn't too much concerned about it. And so, um, quite an ironic uh, uh, little uh, bit of humor that, uh, that was with me uh, prior to June of 1996. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in, listening to this podcast, and being a part of this, uh, this uh, session today. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.